Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome back to the Credo Podcast. I'm John Doherty, founder and CEO of GetCredo.com. At Credo, we help companies find and hire trusted digital marketing firms. This podcast is meant for anyone trying to grow their business online, whether you're a marketing agency owner, director of marketing at a big company, or an executive looking to learn more about marketing and growing your business. As a lifelong learner myself and a professional digital marketer for over a decade now, I love learning from others who have expertise in areas where I personally am trying to learn. So on this podcast, I do two things. Number one, I interview guests who are experts in their field, such as marketing experts and CEOs who have been through good times, tough times, and live to tell the tale. And number two, I do solo me-only episodes where I share with you lessons I've been learning as an entrepreneur and leader that will help you improve your business and your life. So sit back and relax and enjoy the wisdom that's about to come into your ears. Hey there, real quick, before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to make sure I told you quickly about Credo. Credo is my company that I started out of my Brooklyn apartment in 2013, and it's been my full-time focus since 2015. In that time, we've helped thousands of companies on their journey to hiring a trusted, pre-vetted digital marketing firm. So if you need to scale up your marketing team with an agency or trusted consultant, go to getcredo.com slash get hyphen started to get started. We look forward to speaking with you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Credo Podcast. It's been a little bit uh, since I've done one of these one of these episodes, but trying to get back to it. I've been producing a lot of content in other places on the blog, on YouTube, writing a lot of emails, um, all of that. But kickstarting this back again because uh, I'm I'm recognizing that I'm not an expert in everything, um, and there are a lot of people out there that are super super smart. Um, and you know, so I, I've been doing a lot of uh, solo episodes on this in the past, um, but I'm trying to get back to a bit of a balance of solo episodes, teaching you things, but also bringing on experts, people that I listen to, that I respect, um, often friends of mine, um, and uh, letting them share their genius with you as well. So today I have Mr. Marcel Petitpas. Uh, from uh, from Canada on the uh, on the call with me. Um, so Marcel um, and I are both a part of SAS Academy, Dan Martel's kind of group coaching um, program. Marcel and I have become friends over about the last year or so. Um, he's a marketing wizard. He's phenomenal at what he does, especially with like with Facebook ads and that sort of thing. Um, he's helped me out a ton, um, taught me a lot, um, helped out Credo a lot um, as well. Um, and basically what, what he says is that he helps high growth creative agencies, consultancies, and service businesses track the right metrics and maximize their profitability. So not only is he a phenomenal marketer, but he's also a phenomenal business mind. And I'm really excited about this because agency operations, agency profitability, to be completely honest, is not something I know a ton about, or, or it's, it's not something that I would consider myself a world-class expert in versus Marcel is. Um, so he is the, he's the uh, co-founder um, and uh, I believe, and CEO of Parakeeto. Um, and so uh, Marcel, welcome to the show. If you would introduce us, tell us about Parakeeto, tell us about yourself. Thank you for the very generous and, and kind introduction, John. Uh, it's an honor to be here and I'm, I'm excited that anyone is tuning in to listen to this. Uh, I, I hope that I'll be able to share something that is gonna be valuable. Um, yeah, to kind of summarize what I do, I'm an agency profitability consultant. I'm also a business coach. I'm one of the, the I'm the head strategic coach actually at SAS Academy. So I've spent, you know, a very big part of my career just helping business owners become more successful and, um, you know, particularly have a focus on software and marketing or consulting businesses. And, uh, what we do at Parakeeto is we're building a set of tools 
that are, you know, the goal is to help make it easier for service businesses to track the critical metrics that determine their profitability, which is a notoriously hard thing for them to do unless they're a big enterprise company and have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for enterprise uh, licenses for software. So um, if you find yourself building a spreadsheet to try and figure out simple stuff, like did we make money on this project? Uh, that's the problem we're trying to solve. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. So, and, and, and I agree that it's like, it's a deep, it's a deep, deep world. It's something that not a lot of people are doing well. Often a lot of what I find is a lot of companies are doing a lot of agencies, especially smaller ones um, are doing a lot of bank account accounting where it's, did we, do we have more money in our bank account this month than we had last month? Right. But they're not looking at, was this project profitable? Was it not? What should we be selling more of? What should we be selling less of all of those sorts of things? So, um, so I'm, I'm curious about the, the why behind the what. So you told us what you're doing, um, but why? Why is agency profitability a focus for you? Like, what's the background story there? I don't even know this. So all of you listening yeah. are getting this for the first time, uh, getting it fresh just like I am. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think like most uh, people that worked or had their own agency, um, I kind of left that world to go into software because it was much sexier. Um, I didn't really know at the time that it was so much harder, but uh, that, that's a lesson I learned later on. But I actually started, my first business ever was an agency and we were doing virtual uh, reality services for real estate agents. Um, and so you know, we would go in, this was back before you had like Matterport. This was right around the time that things like Matterport were coming online. So at that time you still had to buy a DSLR and you had to get the special rig and you had to take like a bazillion pictures and you had to go stitch them all together. And then you had to take those stitched together 360 images and put them into a virtual virtual software and create a 3D model of the house and, and create a virtual experience. So that's what I was doing. And I hated it. And <laughs> I realized that real estate agents were so cheap that they were never really going to be willing to pay me what I needed to scale the business and reach the unit economics. So like I've always been like that kind of person that like is validating the unit economics before I even start validating the idea to figure out if it can scale. And so I was very early on in that agency when I figured out like, I'm just not able to drive up this price. Real estate agents in my market at the time were just not willing to pay more. And I saw the unit economics were not going to work. And I realized at that moment that it was really kind of challenging. And then I left and said, I want to build a software company and fast forward like three years. This is after I met Dan, we became friends. I, I tried to start a couple of other businesses. I ended up becoming a consultant and a speaker and did that for a year professionally and then kind of got into Dan's world. And then we got a phone call one day from uh, Jared Ferguson, who you might know from SAS Academy, who runs an agency out in Boise. And mm -hmm. he just said, dude, I've got this problem. I am sick and tired of building spreadsheets to answer questions I'm asking myself every day. And I've looked out there and the only options that exist is moving my whole team off of the tools that they know and love now into an all-in-one platform. It feels like a compromise and is super expensive and we're going to grow out of in three years. Um, or option number two is I try to build my own tool. That's basically the options that they had in front of them um, mm. or take a BI tool like a Tableau or, you know, a data box and do a bunch of custom dev on top of it. And then you have this kind of half baked thing that you've got to maintain and at it's the end of the expensive. day and it's super expensive. Right. So at the end of the day, there just wasn't a good solution for doing this stuff. And that set us down the path to um, building Parakeeto, which started as a consulting company, still is largely a consulting company today. So of course our minimum viable product was let's actually go out and just help agencies solve this problem and build uh, a bunch of like small tools to help make that process more efficient. We started building models, started building spreadsheets, really started becoming 
experts in this field over a couple of years and then started back channeling building software off of that and now we're getting to a point where we're getting ready to launch kind of the first real version of parakeeto we've had many different versions in beta we've been spending a lot of time making sure that the product is right we've learned a lot from that um, and we're looking forward to a launch hopefully by the end of this summer is the, the time that, that we're looking at so that's the backstory on parakeeto um yeah that's how we got I love here. that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned a lot of, a lot of new things, uh, new things in there. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, build, building the things for, you know, when, when people tell you they have this problem, well, would you pay for that? What would you pay for that? That kind of thing and building the thing. Right. Um, yeah. And then also kind of dog fooding it yourself. Like I've built Credo out of my own consulting agency side, in-house hiring agencies, and then solo consulting the sales processes I teach are the sales processes I've used to sell a lot of work. Right. Um, so it, that, that's really the best way to kind of build um, build a business like that. Um, and so, uh, and, and this isn't a topic that we've covered at all before on the, on the Credo podcast. We are often talking about marketing and, you know, and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, but I, I love this because um, it, this is, uh, it's just an intrinsic part about building a service business. So one question I have for you is, uh, so what are these, you know, profitability metrics, something you talked about and spreadsheets and data and, you know, and all of that what are some, what are the main profitability metrics that you coach agencies to know or that you give them insight into that kind of does that light bulb and kind of that, you know, holy shit moment um, that, that gets them to that, like, that this is, this is amazing. And how have you seen like that knowledge affect their businesses? Yeah. So I think the, the biggest thing that I spend so much of my time talking about and helping agencies understand is how the service business model is unique, how different it is from a product business or even a software business. There's a lot more similarities there, but it's very different in that you have to earn your revenue, right? When you make a sale or even when you get bookings, when you, when a client pays you money, that is often a liability unless you've actually completed the work. And completing the work costs money. You either have to spend your own time, which has a cost, or you have to hire somebody to come in and spend their time to deliver the results. So any kind of business that requires human capital to deliver results to a client is a different beast. And this is why doing bank account accounting is so dangerous because your bank account is almost never going to be reflective of how much money you actually have available. This requires accrual-based accounting. It requires a different set of considerations. So the first thing is understanding the fundamental business model of an agency. And the, the first thing to kind of talk about is how does an agency earn revenue? Well, that's a function of what is your capacity. So essentially, if you're what you're selling is time, which this it's a controversial thing to say, but at the end of the day, like when you really quantify your inventory, your inventory is what, what kind of people do I have access to? What is their skill set? How much time does it generally require for us to do this thing that we're selling to the client? And based on that math, how many of those things could we sell? How many clients could we serve in a given period of time? So that's like your capacity. It's quantifying how much time do we effectively have access to? And then you have your utilization. So how much of that time you're able to utilize is going to really, how much time you're able to utilize for things that get you paid is gonna determine essentially how much time you're actually spending working. And then the last one is your average billable rate. So how much of your time do you need to invest in order to earn a certain amount of revenue? Or the simplest way to say this is, for every hour that my team works, how much revenue do we earn? And a lot of people get this confused with their hourly rate or their, their rate card or their pricing. But what average billable rate really reflects is independent of how you price something, whether you charge somebody by the hour, you charge them a flat rate, they're paying you a monthly retainer. 
with all the scope creep and all the additional things and all the, the little things that the client asked for that you're not charging them extra for and the thing that you messed up that you had to go and redo two times that you're not getting paid extra for, after all the time that it actually took to get the thing done for the client, how much revenue did you earn for each hour that was invested? When you understand those three numbers, you can model out how much revenue your agency can earn in a given period of time. And that's kind of the foundation. Um, and if you run a specifically a traditional agency, those are going to be kind of the three most important numbers for you to look at um, as it relates to just um, the modeling the potential of your business in a given period of time. So I spend a lot of time just on that kind of fundamental economic reality about a service business. This is how you make money. It's about getting your people spending more time doing stuff that gets you paid and then making sure that it takes them less time to earn the same amount of revenue. If we do those things well, that's our foundation for running a successful service business. Gotcha. And so once they, once they kind of understand, understand those things and those are the, you know, th those are the, as you said, get beyond the bank, uh, bank account accounting. Do we have more in than less, right? There's liabilities, there's recognized, there's realized revenue. There's all that stuff going on. Um, I guess my, my question is, um, so what are some of the, there are definitely going to be levers that you can pull, right? And, and this is, I think, why you talk about operations, right? Because like you understand these, these three main things that you just went back over. Um, so what are, some of the, what are some of the levers that, that you see agencies pull? Or what are some of the common ones that you kind of tell people to look at or counsel people, consult with people to look at? Um, to figure out like, where is the fat? Where are you like losing money? Where are you making money? And then like, how does that affect their strategic direction? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the framework that we use in all of our consulting and the framework that's now informing all the product development that we're doing is for how an agency gets more profitable is the following. It starts with the estimate. So with no matter what kind of work you're doing, at some point you have to sit down and make assumptions about what you think it's going to take to do the thing that you promised the client. And so it starts with the estimation process and estimation processes run the gamut. Some are very sophisticated, some are very rudimentary, but at the end of the day, everyone has some kind of process for this where they pull a number um, out of wherever it is they're pulling it out of and they present it to the client and the client either says yes or the client says no. So the process is we have to make sure that once we have an estimate, we have the ability to track the costs and the time that are structured in a similar way to the estimates so that we can reconcile what actually happened versus what we thought was going to happen. And based on that information, that should then be driving a series of reports and a series of meeting cadences that we have with the team where we can extract qualitative and quantitative data about um, where we actually have the opportunity to make improvements. So this is where we surface things like, hey, we've noticed a pattern that we typically over budget on website projects by 20%. And that should inform a conversation with the team about why do we think that's happening? Are we not scoping it properly on the front end? Oh, we, we seem to be really janky at handing off design over to development. How can we streamline that process? So that's where you should start to extract the insight that helps you understand where do we need to make investments in our process, in our tools, in our systems as a business so that we can become better at doing that thing, spending less time getting that thing done. And then that should then drive back to estimates. So if you get better at doing these things and if your process gets tighter, your estimates will get more accurate. And that loop goes on and on and on until you reach the kind of the pinnacle, which is you have a very profitable agency, but also very importantly, you have a very predictable agency because you know not only how much money you're likely going to make on a project, but you know this because you know how much time it's going to take um, over what timeline that's going to happen, you know, like the relative risk associated with different projects. And that helps you um, do a really good job of resource planning, which is something I love talking about because um, so many agencies overwork their team 
And it's just because they're really bad at scoping projects. And the timeline is, is rarely the elastic thing about a project. It's still got to get done on Friday, but the fact that it's going to take twice as much time as you thought was going to, that just ends up getting absorbed into evenings and weekends because there's nowhere else for that time to go. So that's the, the framework. So understanding that that's the framework, the things that we want to really be good at paying attention to is time tracking data relative to our estimates and expenses relative to our estimates. Um, so that's kind of the, the foundational tooling that you need to have inside of your agency in order to get some insight. And then what you want to be paying attention to is utilization rates, first of all. So that's going to be um, trying to set a target annually of 65% for your billable team. And on a weekly basis, trying to keep your team somewhere between, depending on what the role is, 32 and 36 hours a month. Um, that's generally the kind of benchmarking that we set for that. And the things that are going to impact your utilization are number one, pipeline. So of course you have to be good at predictably getting work in the door. And this is why I only work with high growth agencies because whether I like it or not, a lot of what I do is only actually going to be effective if you are good at consistently earning new business and attracting new clients. There's not really, I mean, there is a point in optimizing for profitability otherwise, but you're not going to get the upside unless you actually have something to put through that system. So number one is pipeline. And then beyond that, if you have enough pipeline, then you have to consider what are all the things that are taking away my team's time um, off of billable stuff? So this is things like, what is the weekly expectation that you set for them um, for billable uh, utilization? What kind of culture time do you have in your business? Things like internal parties, internal meetings, um, all that kind of stuff. How do you do your resource planning? That's really important. Are you efficiently moving people from one thing to another? Another one that I like to talk about is client dilution. So are you asking a single person to work on too many different projects at a time? That's one of the biggest utilization killers that we see. And if you are in a situation where the nature of your business is very horizontal across um, people, then are you structuring roles so that people are able to batch tasks very well? So yeah, maybe we have to do this one thing for 16 different clients, but if I could do that one thing back to back to back to back to back, for all 16 clients in one sitting, it's going to be significantly more efficient. I'm going to be able to get locked in. There's way less context switching. So it's really thinking about how do we remove all of the inefficiencies that is asking our team to do things that is not working on client work. And the better we can get at that, the more streamlined we can be about internal communications and meetings and processes and tools, the higher your utilization is likely going to be. So that's utilization. I'm going to stop there before I move on to the next one because I know I just, that was a big one. Yeah, that was a, that, that was a big one. So I, I guess a follow-up question that I have there yeah. is, um, so first of all, I think you said 32 to 36 hours a month. I think you meant 32 to 36 hours a week, yeah, right? Yeah, sorry, a week, um, yeah. Yep, and so getting them into 65, uh, so basically across the year, 65 to 70% utilization. Is that, um, so, so basically what, what I assume is this basically takes, you have, you have all your people, right? You take, yeah. you assume a 40 hour, you know, 40 hours a week, this is how many hours they have. And then basically as you're getting down to, to specking it out and scoping it out, you're saying like, these are the people that we need on it. These are the utilizations that they have. Right. And then, you know, can we actually pitch this project to make it work? Um, you know, to, and, and then actually deliver on it um, as well. Um, is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, so, so when we think about utilization, the, the equation for that is basically you look at any given time period and it's exactly what you said. You take how many hours per week they're working, you multiply that by the number of weeks. So in a year, it's 52, that equals 2,080 hours a year. I know that number in my sleep because I talk about this way too much, obviously. <laughs> uh, and then utilization is just a function of how many billable hours do we actually work in that time period? 
and um, you divide those two numbers and that gives you your utilization percentage. So on an annual basis, you should be shooting for 65% or slightly higher than that as kind of a benchmark. And yeah, you're week to week, like this is excluding things like time off and so on. Like in a normal week when no one's taking time off, no one's sick, they should probably be expected to be between 70 and 90% utilization if they're kind of a pure production role. Um, there's some nuance around this. You have project managers, you have team leads that have more administrative responsibilities. Their utilization will generally be a little bit lower. When you look at your whole team, you kind of want them to land somewhere around that 65% mark on an annualized basis. And, and then of course we talk about capacity. Um, generally what we can do now is if we know what our team's capacity is, let's say over the next three months and we know what their billable expectation is, then we can do the math and figure out, well, this is realistically how many billable hours we're going to have access to in this time period. So it does really help with understanding, can we take on this project? Do we need to hire additional people? If so, when, what kind of skills do they need to have? So this is where having these numbers and having them figured out becomes powerful because we can actually use them to model and get some forward visibility, which is a thing that's notoriously hard for agencies to do when they don't have access to this kind of information. Absolutely. So, so it kind of also assumes that you have like uh, time tracking in place. You have, you know, the like people are, are accurately doing it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that yeah. I, and I will, I'm going to stop and just do a small anecdote on time tracking because um, this Please. is something that I harp on a lot. Like if you are running an agency and you don't track time, I believe you're being irresponsible as a business owner. Um, tracking time is just as vital as tracking your financials if you run an agency, point blank. It just is. Time and the expense of time, whether it's contractors or your direct labor, is the, it's going to be the biggest item on your P&L, guaranteed. And it's the most expensive and also the most, uh, the most profitable resource that you have in your business. And so you, you need to be managing it well. And I think the reason that a lot of agencies resist time tracking is because traditionally time tracking was seen as the way that you build a client. Of course, most people don't build a client on time anymore, but time is also the largest variable cost when you earn revenue, when you sell something, you have to invest that time to earn it. And so it should behoove you to track your time because it allows you to get a lot more insight and make your business more profitable. It is the most valuable piece of data that you can have for making your agency more profitable. And it has nothing to do with the client. It has everything to do with you. And it also has everything to do with your team. This is the other thing I get pushed back on a lot is the team doesn't want to track time. They think it's a pain in the ass. But if you're using the data properly and you're doing what we talked about, using that information to inform process to make things more predictable, then guess what? They're probably not going to have to work evenings and weekends that much anymore if you get good at it because your scope is going to be accurate. Your resource plan is going to be more accurate. If they're incentivized to get bonuses based on the profitability of the company, it's also going to be good. So it's just a question of having an understanding of what the data is used for and being able to explain that and get the team on board with that. There's no logical reason why anyone working at an agency or running an agency should not want to track time. If they do, it's probably because they just don't have an understanding of why it's important and how they can benefit from it. Totally. No, I, and I think that's, I think that's a good word. Cause I'm, I've been very uh, guilty of not wanting to track time in the past when I was at an agency years ago. Like I, I just, yeah. I didn't, um, you know, and, and now I, in retrospect, I see that I was basically like, I was a not helping the owners, right? My bosses, like, you know, do a good job of running their company. Um, but also, you know, didn't know why I was overworking, right? I'd hit May every year and basically be burnt out because um, I hadn't had a vacation in five months, right? And I was working 80 hours a week. That's because I didn't have a good idea about where my, like, where my time was going and, you know, what I was using. Um, and then also, so that, that does lead into the question, though, of that I was going to ask you about, like, 
because I, I firmly believe, and, and uh, Dan says this all the time, uh, you know, you build the team, the team builds the business, right? Mm-hmm. So how, how do you see people really getting their team bought into reviewing these things? Because it's not like a, because, because we're so used to, at least in the West, when it, because uh, we were raised in education systems that, um, that basically taught us like, you did well, you did bad, right? Here's your score, yeah. here's your grade, right? Um, we're adults, we're not getting grades, right? But like, how do you bring up that conversation? How do you have those conversations or build it into your culture to be reviewing these things, right? And bring them in as kind of a, almost partners in it, right? Where it's like, you know, you're, yeah. you're 20% underwater, um, you know, on these, on these uh, web dev projects, but like, they feel like they're doing the best work they can, you know? Um, so, you know, how, how do you, how do you manage those, those things? Yeah. That's a really good question. So what I want to do is I want to touch on the last metric that I, I didn't get to when I was going through the framework, because that's important for the answer I'm going to give to this question. Sounds great. So, Let's do it. So we talked about, just to kind of circle back, we talked about estimation, how that leads to cost and time tracking, how that leads to reporting and conversations with your team is what we're going to talk about in a moment. And then how that informs process improvement, which then makes, and it just goes in an infinite loop and you make more money and become more profitable and everyone's happy. So of course, around cost and time tracking, we talked about utilization as being a main metric that you want to track. This is one of the biggest mistakes I see agencies make is they say utilization, great. They stop there and then they tell their team, you need to hit this utilization target. And that's the only metric that they hold them accountable to. Of course, if John over here is working for me and I tell John, you need to hit a 65% utilization. If you don't, I'm going to grill you in front of the rest of the team on the next meeting where we talk about these metrics. Then what's John going to do if there's not enough work to do, but um, he's got this logo that he's working on. Well, John's just going to make the logo bigger for three hours so he can hit his utilization target. And that's the worst possible thing that John could do because A, it abstains and muddies up our time tracking data and gives us an inaccurate idea of how long it actually takes to get a deliverable done. Uh, and number two, it enforces a really bad habit of over-servicing on clients, um, which is very, very hard to backpedal from. So the last and important thing that we all have to be paying attention to is some form of profitability metric. And I like average billable rate because it's the simplest one to get into. Average billable rate is basically what is your adjusted gross income. So it's your revenue minus all the stuff that gets passed on to somebody else, contractors, print budgets, ad spends, and so on. So what's left over for you and the agency divided by the amount of time it took you to earn that revenue. So how many billable hours did you have to work to get the thing done? So you do that math that gives you your average billable rate. That's one really easy way to figure out the relative profitability of a project and compare clients and projects against each other and benchmark against a target that you have for yourself. So you can quickly see is a project above or below that level that we want it to be at in terms of profitability. The other alternative to that is gross profit, which is really a similar equation, but it's just you, you take your revenue, you take out all your cost of goods sold, and then you take your team's time, multiply it by their, their cost per hour, um, which is easy to figure out. It's just their salary and benefits divided by their total capacity in a year. That gives you your cost per hour. So you minus all that out and that should get you to a gross profitability level. And again, same thing. You should have a benchmark for where you want to be on a project. Generally, that's going to be somewhere between 50 and 70% if you're budgeting things properly. Um, and you should have the estimate to reference. Like we thought we we're going to do a 60% profit margin on this. And right now it's looking like we're going to do 40 And the reason we want to make sure we have that number on the table is because it helps counterbalance the utilization thing. Because now people are not incentivized to add extra hours to hit their utilization target because that's going to screw up the profitability of the project. And so what we want to do is get away from using time tracking um, as a way to, A, try to make sure that people are working hard enough 
that's not a good way to measure how hard people are working and how hard people are working should have nothing to do with the amount of time it takes them to get things done. It should be more about the outcomes that they're driving and how well they're interacting with the team and how much they're helping us get better as a business. Number two, uh, we should not be using time tracking data or profitability data to berate the team about not hitting expectations. Instead, as a leadership team, the way that we want to bring these numbers to the table is say, here's what we expected. Here's what's happening. Why is it happening? And we want to seek feedback. Most of the time, it is our failure as business owners to give our team the resources, give our team the accurate scope to have like implemented the right processes or tools to give them the opportunity to do the thing that we expected them to do. And we need to be open to getting the people that are on the ground surfacing ways to actually make these things better. And when they come up with the idea, guess what? They're gonna be way more bought into actually getting the thing done and then following that process on an ongoing basis to make things better. So this is essentially the, the cycle that I take all of our consulting clients through. We get their estimation process squared away. Then we start reconciling their time tracking and cost tracking so that it matches up and we can easily pull reports on a regular basis to say, here's what we expected, here's what's happening, and here's our forecast for where it's gonna go. And then on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis, we do a performance project performance meeting and we look at the at-risk projects, we look at the projects that have closed and we ask the question, why did things go really well? What can we learn and replicate from that? And why did things not go the way that we planned? And we learn all kinds of things from getting the team involved in that conversation that we never would have found out otherwise. And it makes it so much easier to prioritize where we're actually gonna invest in making new processes, how to make our estimates better, how to factor things in that we weren't thinking about before, how to manage better relationships with the clients, all that stuff. Um, so that's really the long and short of it. Yeah, no, and I think that that really that really makes sense. And then probably there's also a part of, you know, when it comes to your team, what is it that motivates them, right? Is it more time? Is it more freedom? Is it, uh, you know, fewer hours so they can go do other hobbies? Is it getting bonuses, right? Um, you know, you can directly tie it back to that, right? If we hit our profitability metrics, you know, we hit our sales metrics, here's how we're doing. We hit our profitability metrics, here's how we're doing. You know, then you get X like bonus, right? That motivates some people. Um, so, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to kind of, um, you know, to, to grease that and then get everybody on board where it's not just like, oh, I'm working to make, you know, this agency owner rich. Right. And of course, a lot of people don't understand that agency owners don't make a ton of money usually. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but, but that's how it feels because they're not seeing any, like any extra for doing a better job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. And that's exactly what it is. We, we need to be able to articulate to them. And it's possible that you have an incentive structure at your agency where people get bonuses if the agency does well. And it's possible that you don't, but even if you don't, the, the really big reward from doing this kind of thing is that they're less likely to have to stay late. They're less likely to have to come in on weekends. They're less likely to have these because again, the deadline rarely moves. And, um, yeah, I think the fundamental thing is the things that we want to get mad at people for or discipline people for is not being compliant on process and on tracking their time as honestly and as transparently as possible. But what we can't really justify berating people for is the profitability of a project not being there or their utilization not necessarily being there unless it's really clear that we had enough work for them to do and that we resource plan them properly and they just didn't do the thing that they were supposed to do. But most of the time, if we're not hitting profitability in our projects or if our team's not hitting utilization, that's our fault or it's our management team's fault or it's a failure in the process that we have set them up with. It's very rarely falls on the team. And so I think it's just a, it's a question of rethinking how we use this information because it can be used to your detriment. And I see a lot of people, unfortunately, 
picking pieces of this and using them in the wrong way and it ends up being counterproductive. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. And and I, I like that that it comes back on the on the management team, on the sales team, on you know, on that kind of thing, um, on those levels, because you know, if you you hire a designer and you've seen all their work and they do great work and then they start producing shoddy work, right? And the, you you talk to them, right? The stuff's coming back for review for revisions and all that. Like it's not client, you know, maybe it's the client that's, you know, just has unrealistic expectations. Um, but that should have been solved in the sales process. But, you know, that they, you know, they're a great logo designer. Let's keep that same like uh, uh, example going on. But all of a sudden they're like, you know, they have 50 logos to do in a week, right? Like no one's gonna be able to do great work, you know, uh, under yeah. that. So then the question is like, are you selling it for too little? Like, are you expecting too much? Like, you know, th- th- there's a bunch of different ways to kind of, you know, solve that um, as well. But um, so, you, so it's that holistic, holistic view into it, but it starts with that, like, utiliz- that, that time tracking, just so you know, where is all their time going, right? If they build 60 hours in a week, that's a problem. Um, and so you gotta, you gotta figure that out. Yeah, we don't want that kind of thing happening consistently. It's just not sustainable. And this is one of the things that I see a lot. And unfortunately, there are some smart agency owners out there that understand all of this stuff Mm -hmm. and just continue to exploit people or that are not aware of this stuff and are not aware that their team is actually subsidizing their lack of proficiency at running their agency. So the fact that they can't scope properly, the the fact that they're not very good at at resource planning, the fact that they're not really good at managing relationships with clients and protecting scope, um, their team ends up paying for it by working twice as much time as they're supposed to, because that's a legitimate way to subsidize these kinds of overruns. And it's not fair to the team, really. No, it's really not. It's really not. So shifting um, a little bit to our, uh, I mean, to, to the last topic as we kind of wrap all this up. So yeah. I mean, we're recording this on what, April 7th, uh, 2020. Um, <laughs> yes. And so, you know, we're, we're right in the middle where like, I've been working from home now for four weeks. We're right in the middle of like nation, uh, not even nationwide, but like statewide lockdowns. A lot of countries in the world are locked down because of uh, the COVID virus right now. Um, so, and, and we're in the middle of a crisis in the agency world. I have a, yes. I know people, I, I know very, very few agencies that are growing through this at uh, right now. A lot of agencies are just hoping to stay flat. Um, yep. and I, I've seen some that have lost 50, 60% of their revenue in like a week's time and had to lay off teammates and that kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot of clients pausing budgets. There's a lot of client shrinking budgets. Um, there's a lot less lead volume to go around. People are taking longer to make decisions. So I'm curious as you're talking to agency owners right now, how are you yeah. counseling them to, to handle this and to, to think through it? Yeah, so there's, there's basically um, three priorities to look at when we, when we look at these metrics. The, and the, the level of priority is number one, we've gotta be right-sizing our overhead because overhead doesn't make us money and it should be relative to our adjusted gross income. So that's the first thing that I recommend um, you do if you're in a position where your forecast for how much revenue you're gonna make this year has just changed a lot, then you should be basically forecast, trying to figure out over the next you know six months or a year, how much adjusted gross income can you realistically expect to make? And then go and review your spending on overhead and make sure that you right size it. So to give you a sense of what that should look like, facilities, so anything that's related to your rent, um, you know, actually putting a roof over your head, utilities, internet bills, all that kind of stuff, that should be between four and 6% of your adjusted gross income. Then you're going to want to look at your administrative costs. So that's going to be maybe part of your salary. If you've got an admin assistant, your QuickBooks subscription, your lawyers, your accountants, your bookkeepers, all that administrative stuff, that should be somewhere between eight and 10, maybe 12% of your adjusted gross income. And then your sales and marketing, 
Um, so anything related to acquiring new business, working on your own website, internal projects, the time it takes for that, uh, that should fall somewhere between 10 and 14% of your adjusted gross income. So your total overhead really should not go over 30%. Ideally, you're keeping it close to 25%. So that's the first thing that I would recommend you do is figure out how much adjusted gross income you're going to have over the next 12 months, and then go and review your spending to make sure that you're not overspending on overhead and cutting that back to where it needs to be. Step one. Step two, you've got to increase your utilization. And there's only two levers for utilization. You either get more work or you get less capacity. So if you're in a position where you can go and, you know, farm more work from your clients or maybe offer them additional work at a discount or maybe offer them to lock in for a longer retainer by prepaying and give them a discount for that, you know, that's an option. If you can take on work that's not a best fit right now, I generally don't recommend doing that, but this would be a time where you can justify doing it because you really just need to get your utilization up. But if none of that stuff is possible, then you've got to right size the team. And so um, the, the one piece of advice that I have around that is don't cut your team's legs off two inches at a time. If you're going to make cuts, you want to make sure that you don't have to do another round of cuts for at least a month because there's a grieving process and you need to give your time, you like you need to give your team time to just like have it happen, deal with it and get back to normal. But if you're just lopping off like the odd person every week, it's, you're just dragging it out. And it's honestly a disservice to the people that you lay off because it limits the resources that you have access to, to actually give them potentially some severance or, or ease that transition or, or help them, you know, find a new spot. So um, if you're in that unfortunate position, that's my advice is like, do the, do the financial forecast, figure out how much your adjusted gross income is. And again, your direct labor costs or your team that you have should not exceed 60% of your planned adjusted gross income. Ideally, you're closer to 40 or 50%. So that should help you figure out, you know, how much do we need to trim around this? Uh, and then of course, look into whatever programs are available in your state or, or in the United States around um, easing some of the, the burden of your employees or maybe helping transition them to a part-time work or, or getting some kind of salary relief. I know there's a lot of things going on. We, we have some in Canada. These are some of the things I would encourage you to look at. The last one is um, take advantage of this opportunity to move your team to remote and uh, installing new processes. And like, you know, they're primed for change right now. It's a perfect time to start setting new expectations for things like time tracking, for things like project uh, reporting and meetings, because they're probably in a state where they've changed a lot of things and they're ready for change and they're installing new tools and processes. So take advantage of that um, to try and solidify your business so that if you can survive this, you come out the other end um, ready to scale and ready to be much more profitable and have a lot more insight. Um, so those are kind of my hot tips uh, for where you want to be at this point in time and what you want to focus on if you're in that position as an agency. I like those. So, uh, so, so basically your three steps, just to, to recap are, um, yeah. uh, take a look at your overhead, uh, make sure that you're, you're properly, uh, well, first of all, forecast out what revenue can you ideally expect then look at your look at your overhead, uh, three to four percent for facilities, utilities, all that sort of stuff. Eight to twelve percent for um, uh, owner salary, and uh, there are a couple other things um, in there admin. as well. Admin, yeah. admin stuff, yep. But QuickBooks subscription, I think you mentioned, um, and then uh, another like um, really like like what twelve to twelve to fifteen percent, something like that for marketing and sales and, and that sort yeah. of stuff. So basically, keep that under thirty, ideally twenty five. Then looking at your team, uh, you know, you need to increase utilization, um, 
you know, or, or do you need to decrease it, um, you know, based off of what you, uh, um, what you have or like the, or the amount of time that you have available. Um, if you, if you have to make layoffs, don't cut them off two inches at a time. You gotta, you, you gotta kind of make a, make a deeper cut. Um, and then, uh, and then the third part was, remind me what the third part was there. Uh, take advantage of the opportunity to get better processes in place, um, yep. better tooling, better reporting, um, because you're, it, it's an opportunity yep. to make those kind of changes right now. Um, and the last thing that I'll say is remember that in your agency, profit has to do with the volume of time that it takes you to get work done. So you're always incentivized to get the same amount of work done in less time, but cash flow has to do with the length of time that it takes you to get work done. Because most people um, are, your payment terms are going to have some kind of upfront, maybe some kind of payment partway through, and then you're going to get the majority of it at the end. So now might be the time to start thinking about fast tracking work or trying to shorten the, the amount of time that you're getting work done in so that you can get more bookings in the door because cash flow is still a consideration. You still have things going out and you still need money coming in. So um, think about optimizing your cash flow, which has to do with shortening the timelines for your work if you have the ability to do it. Um, that's another important thing to consider. Yeah, and I, I would say that's a that's a big one. I see a lot of agencies that, and this is part of why we built escrow into uh, into the Credo platform. Is there are a lot of agencies that they'll like they'll do work, and then they uh, and, and they don't bill anything up front. They'll do work. They'll send the invoice at the end. Maybe they remember, um, but that's actually the number two problem that a lot of uh, agencies have told me they have um, is remembering to send invoices. Number one is getting enough leads. Number two is remembering to send invoices, which just surprised the heck out of me. Um, and then you know send it, they send it with net thirty. Um, sometimes they agree to net 60. And then of course we know no one ever pays within the, you know, the net term. So net 30 becomes 45, 60 becomes 75. You're now 105 days past the time that you started work before you actually see any money. Um, and so this is, this is a big time to kind of shore up those, those payment, um, payment yeah. terms. If you can get some money up front, um, or at least like have it, you know, have it guaranteed that as soon as it's done, it's getting paid. Um, cause you don't want to, you don't want to chase for four months after you finish the work because that happens. It's happened to me. Yeah. And, and think about right now, you know, if you, you might have some clients that are actually thriving in this environment. I know we, John and I both know some people that are absolutely crushing it right now because yeah. their business was just well positioned. So you might have some clients that are in that position too, and they're looking for a good deal on things because they have cash flow. So now might be a good time to go to them and say, Hey, do you want to lock in the next 12 months? And I'll give you a 20% discount or go to mm -hmm. new clients that are coming in and say, Hey, like we'll incentivize you. If you pay this within 15 days, we'll give you a, 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 a small discount. You know, you're incentivized right now to get cash in the door for your business. That's important. And if you're in a position where you've got a client where you really don't think you're ever going to see that money because, you know, they might go bankrupt or something like that. I don't generally recommend it, but you may want to look into factoring or some kind of receivables based financing. It's generally not a great deal, but it's better than getting zero dollars for your outstanding invoices. So this is definitely an area where it's a good time to start revising your payment terms and how you incentivize clients to pay you because cash flow is going to be very, very important. And it's very, and, and I know a lot of agency owners are, are reticent to give any, uh, any discounts. Cause I, I mean, you, you talked 50 to 60% profitability, man, I see most at like 10 to 15. Um, so like they're reticent to give, you know, to give those, uh, give those discounts. So it does start with figuring out like, why are you only at 10 to 15? Why are you not at 40 or 50? Right. Um, and so, so, you know, kind of right-sizing that, um, figuring that part out, but then also recognizing that CFOs, their job is to get the best deal. 
and their job is to minimize the outflow for the for for what you're getting. Um, and so, you know, if you give them a, you know, hey, if you sign a 12 month deal, we'll give you a 15% discount, right? You're at 50% profitability now. You're at 30, 35, right? There, there gets to be much easier for them to say yes for the CFO to sign off on it right now, as opposed to like. No, we don't give discounts, blah, 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 right? Like give them, give them yeah. the choice to say, you know, to say no, but also increasing, you know, the amount of time that they have to give you. Don't just give them 15% for a month to month, right? If you want 15% off, we're willing to give you 15% off, but we need six months committed or 12 months committed, that kind of thing. Um, okay. And it's, it, you're actually playing to the CFOs because, you know, ultimately it's not the marketing manager making the choice. They don't control the budget. The CFO has to sign off on it. Um, and they are incentivized to, you know, they, they have to be cash flow positive as well. Yeah, 100%. And ideally, if you're doing this right, you're, you know, maybe you're cutting your profitability down right now, but you should be getting more profitable over time, you should be getting more efficient over time. So maybe that goes back up to 40 or 45%. And I also want to be clear on some of the benchmarks here, because I don't want people to get confused. When I talk about 50 to 7%, I'm talking about gross profit on a project, your net profit as an agency, the industry averages around 10%. I try to get my clients to aim for 25. It is possible to get up closer to 35 or 40 if you're really squeezing everything out of it. But 25% is like a really healthy, highly profitable agency that can scale and cash flow its own growth. And that's not an unrealistic place to get to. But there's always going to be this gap between your gross profitability and your overhead and then your bottom line because you're not going to utilize your team at 100%. So there's going to be a pretty significant portion of your direct labor costs. In this case, for most people, between 50 and 45% that you're just kind of eating and you're investing that in, you know, having internal meetings or maybe you're investing that in internal projects or maybe you're, you're paying for people to go on vacation. Like that's part of the agreement that you make when you hire them. Um, so just keep that in mind. Those are kind of the benchmarks. And if you are confused about this or you've been taking notes or you want to have all of these benchmarks and metrics summarized on one piece of paper, um, you can go and download that on our website at paracuto.com forward slash toolkit. There's a bunch of stuff in the toolkit, but that's one of the things is a summary of all these metrics that I talked about today. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I was going to ask if you had something like that. So paracuto, like parakeet the bird, o.com uh, slash toolkit right. is where you can find that. Um, and so Marcel, yes. dude, thank you for being on. This is, this is amazing. I've learned a bunch. I'm sure people that are listening to this are, are going to learn a ton as well. Um, so uh, other than paraketo.com slash toolkit, where, where's the best place for people to connect with you personally? Yes, absolutely. So um, I've, I'm also the host of a podcast called the Agency Profit Podcast, and you have just been become a guest on that show as well. Um, so we bring on lots of experts. Um, I've started doing some solo casts as well. So you can check that out. It's on iTunes. It's on everywhere. It's on YouTube. So Agency Profitability Podcast paraketo.com. That's where we have our blog. Um, we have all kinds of free resources there. We're always publishing content. If you want to reach out to me personally, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on Facebook, or you can just send me an email. And if you download the toolkit, you will have my direct email address. So feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to hear from agency owners. And if you're trying to get a handle on these things and you're kind of confused, just let me know. I'm always happy to be a helping hand. I respond to every email. So don't hesitate to reach out. I, I just love uh, seeing people action this stuff. It makes me really happy. Awesome. Love it, Marcel. Well, dude, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, and everyone go check him out, paraketo.com, download paraketo.com slash toolkit. Um, he's a, he's a great dude based up in, uh, based up in Canada. Um, and I'm sure you'll learn a lot from him, um, as you're trying to, to manage your, uh, your agency, your service business in this, uh, in this very interesting time. So Marcel, thanks, man. Very much appreciate it. Thanks for having me, John. It's a pleasure. 
Hey there, John Doherty here once again. Just wanted to thank you for making it all the way through this episode. If you've gotten value from the Credo Podcast, we'd love it if you would leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This really helps us get the message out there. And also, if you really, really liked it, take a screenshot of your phone, share it on your Instagram stories, tag me at DohertyJFNIT. I'll reshare it for you. Thank you so much for learning, for listening, and for sharing it with others.